Hey guys, thanks for listening. This is the second episode of Measure Direction, a digital analytics and marketing strategy podcast brought to you by myself, Jason Rose, a content strategist here at Digital Surgeons and the leader of our analytics practice, Tom Miller. How's it going, Tom? How are you? I'm great. (laughs) So for those who don't know, Digital Surgeons is a design and innovation firm. It's really just kind of focused on cool, innovative marketing. So this is a audience-driven podcast where people submit questions and we do our best to kind of answer them and Tom brings all his expertise to the table, and we get right to the you know heart of the problem. Thanks. Yeah, I you know I just want to start out by thanking everyone that uh, supported the launch of the show. Um, you know, downloaded and listened to episode one. Got a tremendous amount of great feedback. Keep that feedback coming, and we've also gotten a pretty nice stream of inbound questions for the show. This is an audience-driven podcast, so we need your help. We need that fuel of your problems or your questions or you know, your discussion topics to keep the fire of this thing going. So once again, very much appreciated. Um, You know, we love the feedback. And if you want to submit a question to us, the uh, form is located at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash measured direction. Pretty easy to remember. Uh, If you want to uh, visit this podcast's homepage, it's on SoundCloud. It's soundcloud.com slash measured direction. Also on iTunes now, I believe. If you search Measure Direction, you'll see us come up, whether you got a podcast app. Yeah, pretty cool to see. <laughs> <It's> big time. <laughs> Real big deal. Great. So with that in mind, you ready to get in the first question here? Let's do it. This is why we're here. All right, cool. So the first question comes from Lauren Fagan, an account manager here at Digital Surgeons. You can find her on Twitter at, at LLFGN. So she asks, any advice for passing the Google Analytics exam? Also, how frequently does Google Analytics change its format? How do you keep up on any changes Google Analytics makes, and how much from the Google Analytics exam is actually relevant to everyday practice? Okay, well, this is great. I, you know, I think there's sort of two different questions or two different meta questions being asked here. The first is related to the Google Analytics exam. Um, you know, uh, my advice for passing the exam is, you know, Google gives you a tremendous amount of material related to the content of the exam. They give you a preview of the exam. Um, they basically tell you with their, and you know, I might be not nailing the brand exactly, but I think it's called the Google Analytics Academy, where they, they basically take you through a, a multi-hour course. It's a video course where you learn the fundamentals of the product, and presumably with that, you can take the exam. Uh, my advice to people is to actually just get into the product, especially if you're, you know, just starting out with it, and spend several hours, you know, just within the basic interface, what's called the reporting interface. When you get comfortable with this, you know, the concepts of the various dimensions and metrics, get into the customizable interface, and then what you need to do is you need to really understand the Google philosophy of how they want you to approach the the product itself, which, you know, just goes to good business practice, right? So understanding your marketing objectives, looking at metrics related to your market objectives, taking web metrics and using them to understand 
user behavior, user intent, right? It, it's not just about like, does page views per visit or page views per user signify an engaged user? Uh, starting to understand those dynamics of like what's actually happening and what's going on within your customers or your users' uh, mind, right, or, or their behaviors, and how that translates to actually what gets recorded within the tool is important. Um, but let me, let me turn the question around to you, Jason, because you've recently passed the Google Analytics individual certification exam. Yeah, as of a couple weeks ago with the, uh, you know, this podcast coming up, I really thought it was time to finally get deep into the platform. So as someone who recently passed it, my biggest advice is Tom hit the nail on the head when he said it's really about how you're using the Google product more than it is about the nuts and bolts of implementing it. So you'll get questions that are more or less, you know, what's the most important metric for a landing page? It really does get right to the bottom line like that. So obviously in that case, it's going to be conversions because a landing page, ultimately that's how well it's measured, you know, how well it's people are clicking through at the bottom. So the best advice I can give is just spend the time, like Tom said, going through the study guide. They really set it all up nice and easy for you, whether you prefer to read or whether you want to watch through the videos. And then it just it's a simple hour and a half test, 70 questions. You got to get an 80 to pass. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really liked it. I thought it was a tremendously informative experience. All right. Well, let, let's let's get to the second part of this question. Uh, how much from the Google Analytics exam is actually relevant to everyday practice? Well, Oh man, that's that's sort of a uh, a trickier question because where I would say that it's very light the exam itself, and I I, I want to talk a little bit about the exam in a second. But where I would say it's very light is it's very light on the implementation side. I'm sure that's intentional by Google, right? Google doesn't want to make this too technical. And if you look at the mix of the technical questions in the exam versus the sort of business case questions, um, you know, it's obviously way weighted toward the latter, right? Um, I would also say that it is probably more weighted to the tactical than the strategic, right? So um, when you ask the question to me, how much from the Google Analytics exam is actually relevant to everyday practice? Well, you know, I'm, I'm focused a lot on analytics strategy, right? Um, I'm also, my practice is actually focused a lot on implementation, right? We, we do a great deal of implementation work. So I would say for my particular practice, um, it's certainly relevant, but it's not, the focus of the exam isn't necessarily the focus of my day to day. So one thing I do want to talk about is the exam itself, um, just to give you a little bit of background since this is your first time yeah. or was your first time ever taking the exam. Um, you know, the process now is way better than it was even a couple years ago. Uh, the materials have always been there. You know, Google's always been very good about providing a really, really high level of documentation and use casing for their products. Um, but what was not there is the smoothness of the test itself. So the test itself, the first time I took it, you know, however many years ago, probably almost a decade ago, was to me it felt like it was written in broken English um, and some of the questions I felt had some quasi ambiguous answers uh, you know there was like an answer that seemed like it was the right answer and wound up being the right answer but you know you could almost make an argument for some of the other answers which is annoying right I mean you want you want it to be pretty clear that you know your material you don't want to get an answer wrong because 
you know, you feel like that the question's a trick question or something like that. Yeah, you almost feel like the breadth of which you understand something is making it harder for you that if you just memorized what maybe was in the study guide, yeah. that's the easy answer yeah. instead of like, no, I actually understand this and it's making it difficult for me. And to be clear, that you know, that this really only happened the first time I took the exam, which was yeah. when it first came out. Um, so they were still, I think, ironing out some of the kinks. Yeah, but I then, mean, I'm not, like you said, I have no perspective because it's the first time I took it, but I really thought it was pretty, Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of all the above questions would probably be my only, <laughs> only complaint about it, which tends to happen a lot in multiple choice anyway. Right. So it came to a point sometimes where you're like, uh, I'm not completely sure, but I know three out of the four, so obviously it's going to become all of the above. But I mean, other than that, it was a pretty, I thought, well-written test. Um, you know, I, I would say the other thing about the exam is it used to cost $50. Yeah. Um, and you had to renew, I want to say, every year. Uh, now I think it's an 18-month period. A, you know, I think the... It, it absolutely has to be the most common certification for a digital analytics professional. I'm sure that, you know, 90% of digital analytics professionals have a Google Analytics certification just because it is so simple now to get it. Yeah. And if you work at all with the product, um, you know, for any period of time, you're going you're gonna to be able to easily pass it, very easily pass it. Um, the... And then, you know, the other factor there is that Google Analytics is the most common, commonly used uh, analytics tool, clickstream analytics tool. So many websites use Google Analytics. So many people in digital analytics, digital marketing, digital operations use this product, are familiar with this product. I'm sure that there are tens of thousands of people that have their Google Analytics individual certification. Is it looked at as a like a must in the community? Like, say you were hiring someone, or do you work in your analytics um, practice? I mean, if you if they don't have the certification, is that something you hold against them, or do you just no, more or less I assume mean, anyone can pass it that's really working with the the tool? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely be most interested in making sure that they were working with the tool every day. Um, where, if I were hiring somebody to be um, an analyst that was primarily working with that tool, obviously. Yeah. The it, it would almost be a red flag for me. I mean, I, I would certainly want to make sure that, you know, the the way that we were interviewing would be set up in a way to that would that would expose someone that was uh, applying for a job like that that did not have that sort of you know did not have that level of skill with the tool. But yeah. again. The certificate, the test is almost so easy to pass that it almost loses some of its credibility, right? I mean, it's it's pretty. I mean, it's it's pretty simple, especially if you use the tool, you know, on a daily basis. It's a pretty simple test to pass. So, I mean, let's let's move on. Um, so, another question here. I mean, we're you know we're we're talking a lot about Google Analytics. This is a um, tool agnostic show. We are a tool agnostic agency. Um, but, it, you know, I do think it is important to talk about Google Analytics because it is a hugely influential and, and widely used tool. So we're going we're gonna to keep on this thread. Uh, you know, her final questions are, how frequently does Google Analytics change its form format, his format, its format, and how do you keep up on any changes Google Analytics makes? Now, I'm going to assume that she's referring to the product itself and not uh, the test, the product itself, um, you know, there is a 
huge user base at Google Analytics. So when, when a major change comes through or even you know, a minor change comes through, the Google Analytics blogosphere reacts to it. And there are uh, a lot of blogs out there that really closely track the product itself, you know, it, including the Google Analytics blog, which they have their own official blog. They talk about uh, product features and use cases a lot on the blog. But then there are, um, you know, a, a ton of people that use Google Analytics every day, myself included, that might write a good article about it. So, you know, the usual suspects as far as digital marketing goes, um, you know, uh, sources like eConsultancy or uh, Moz, they'll catch the big changes. Um, but then there are also sort of some specialty bloggers out there like uh, Luna Metrics, for example, which is a consultancy in Pittsburgh, they are continually writing about Google Tag Manager, Google Analytics. And anytime anything new comes out, you can expect a blog post um, by them breaking it down in great detail within a few days, right? So the latest, I, you know, I would say the last big seismic event to happen with Google Analytics is... Um, uh, calculated metrics. And we're going to talk about that in a future episode when we talk about OpenShare, which is a project that we've uh, taken on here. And we've done some really interesting things with calculated metrics as actually part of an integrated product um, it, that we're releasing. I mean, it's an open source project, but it's an open source project that has a very interesting Google Analytics integration to it. I'm yeah, really going to be excited to like you said, get further into that in future episodes. Awesome. Cool. So I guess we'll move on to the second question now. Nice. All right. So this question comes from Pete Senna, our chief creative officer and founder. You can find him at, at Pete Senna on Twitter, P-E-T-E-S-E-N-A. So his question is, why does last touch attribution limit our ability to validate the power digital has on the consumer journey? Wow. That's a really great question. You know, when we talk about, I mean, we should we should break this down, right? So let's talk about last touch attribution. What does that mean? Um, what that means is that you're referring a conversion, um, you know, which you typically a sale for an e-commerce, but really any positive event, positive outcome, to the last known inbound or media channel without regard to previous touches that the consumer received along that path to conversion. Does that make sense? So... When you talk about a last touch attribution model, you're basically saying, and we'll, we'll keep it real simple. So we'll say it's for you know just a website, yeah. and say you come to the website via Google search, and you type in you know I'm interested in Jelly Belly jelly beans, and you type in Jelly Belly into Google, you go to JellyBelly.com and you buy a crap ton of jelly beans, right? So under this model, all of the credit gets given to that that search correct as the tool for the google, purchase happening google search right so it, it's a really really simplistic way of describing your customer journey as a yeah. jelly belly i don't know why i picked them but as a <laughs> jelly belly consumer you know it's it's ultra ultra simplistic right because yeah, you're you, ignoring everything else that happened along this super fragmented digital journey now. You don't know if you're following them on Twitter, if you're reading blogs, or if you've seen other ads. Correct, or, correct. And and you may have you may have actually come to you may have actually come to the website before, you know, you may have clicked on a banner ad, 
you know, you may not have ever even known that Jelly Belly was a thing. And you read on a, you know, uh, some blog somewhere about Jelly Belly's quality, right? And so you check out jellybelly.com and you read some content about quality. And, and that's sort of, that's like the first touch. The first touch is you reading in that blog and coming to the site. And, you know, you're, you're developing uh, your understanding of the product at that point. So you've, you've sort of gotten over, over the awareness hump. You've gotten over, you know, some questions about the product hump that you might have. But then you forget what you're doing, right? And whatever, a month later, you stumble across a Jelly Belly banner ad. And you're like, ah, you know, I remember I, I was on this site. I almost bought some jelly beans, but I didn't for whatever reason. You actually click the banner ad, which, you know, would be insane. Because <laughs> who clicks banner ads, right? Well, let's like say for this. One out of every 100,000 people or whatever it is. But So you click the banner ad. You come to the Jelly Belly site. And um, you get distracted. You're at work. Right. And so you leave your, your window open, um, you shut it down and your, your windows open and, and you see something with jelly belly on it. And you're like, ah, you know, I really want to buy these jelly beans. Then you type it into Google. Right. And then you say, all right, I'm on jellybelly.com. I convert. So let me ask you this, Jason, who should get credit for that conversion? Should it be the banner ad? Should it be your organic search in Google? Or should it be the blog that was originally promoting Jelly Belly? Well, as a creator of content, I want to give credit to the blog that started the whole <laughs> of course you do. process. Of course <laughs> but you we do. very rarely get credit for the final conversion because typically a customer journey works something like that. They're not necessarily clicking through directly after first engaging with the content on the first touch like that. Right. And, and so, you, so you have a stake, right? So yeah. as, as our, our, our content strategist, you have a stake in the, this native content or whatever it is. Exactly. If I were to bring in a member of our media team, right, if I were to bring Ashley in, she would say, well, the display obviously gets the credit or, or a big chunk of the credit. Yeah. And not only does the display get the credit, but we were, you know, we had ads up on all these other sites that you were on. And even though you didn't click those ads, we're tracking the view through, right? Yeah. So we actually should get even more credit because we had more touches, even though they weren't active right you're yeah. actively doing something so yeah i mean it's it's it can be a it can get messy right yeah, very quickly to distill this down you know no matter how you described the concept of a customer journey you know there are steps along the way that lead into conversion right for any business for any organization and they all need to be understood and quantified right that's 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 what you're doing with attribution modeling and each one of these steps, each one of these touch points, each one of these things that you're doing along the journey can have an outsized or an undersized effect on conversion just based on, you know, the way that you're running your business, the way that your value proposition is expressed. I mean, there are a lot of factors, right? And so when it comes to attribution, what you want to do is, and there, there are sort of two ways to do it. You could actually just go completely algorithmic. So there are services that say, we're just going to look at all of your customer touch points, you know, typically mostly through the digital channel because it's the most quantifiable, the most trackable. And we're going to throw it all into a black box and we're going to say, okay, here is your, here's your channel mix, here's your media mix that is most effective at generating conversion, right? Interesting. Google 
what Google Analytics does, just to get back on that particular product, but what Google Analytics does is it actually allows you to look at certain different types of models alongside each other. So there's last click, there's first click, or last touch, first touch, and then there are, there are various mixes in between of sort of how do we distill this? And there, there's a lot of magic that comes out of that comparison, right? So if you do first touch versus last touch and look at what the differences are in your conversion rates, then you get a great deal of insight into not only what is important, but what is influential, right? Um, well, it's sort of saying the same thing, but there is a great deal of sort of magic in that segmentation. Um, yeah, and being able to directly say, hey, you know, for attributing first touch, whatever the number may be, say, you know, it's 50. I know this might be unrealistically sounding numbers, but say 50 versus 15%. You immediately right. can tell that the last touch, you're vastly underestimating the importance of the Right. whatever the first thing in the journey was. Right. And we and we call that assists, right? So you you sort of have a, a direct, you know, you sort of have a direct response, right? A direct conversion yeah. um, for each of your channels, and then you have assisted conversions. So, you know, with with some products like buying a car, for example, um, you might you might visit a website 50 times before you decide that you're actually gonna buy the car. And then you're not buying the car online anyway, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, you as you can imagine uh, attribution modeling is a huge, huge topic of, you know, discussion and development for digital analysts and marketing analysts in general. I mean, it is a very, very challenging topic. And there is, there's been this explosion in technology um, over the past, you know, five to 10 years that has really started to try to lock down attribution in a more meaningful um, so let's talk about last touch though, because I'm also actually going to defend it. And this is a topic that's come up on the measure slack lately. Uh, if you're interested in joining the measure slack, it is bit.ly that's bit.ly slash add measure slack. Uh, that's capital A, capital M, capital S add measure slack. So somebody brought up the point and I think it's an extremely valid point is that it's nearly impossible to build out a good attribution model, particularly if you're talking about like a single channel distribution model or attribution model, like a, a digital attribution model, without a really rigorous methodical approach to your measurement protocol of your touches. And so what am I saying there? I'm saying that without having, without being awesome at last touch, you can't be awesome at any type of attribution analysis. Does that make sense? Um, simply because any touch could conceivably be a last touch, right? I mean, if you want to break it down to like atomic terms, right? It's it, if you don't know any better, and if you don't have a good grasp on your customer's journey and where they are in their journey, and you don't have a good grasp on um, segmenting your customer intent, right? And so you don't, you don't have these customer segments built out. You really need to focus on nailing last touch and really just being rigorous and methodical about how you're tagging and, and how you're triggering conversions in a way that is going to shed light on that with last touch. And then from there, you know, you have a strong foundation for getting beyond last touch attribution. Attribution, but you know, 
getting to near perfection with last touch is important for building on the future of your attribution modeling. Does that I make think, sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, because especially if you think about it, at the end of the day, as much as I have a stake in the content and its role in the customer's journey, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the last touch is the thing that caused them to convert. So if you don't understand what actually is causing your customer to just suddenly convert, right. you can create the greatest content in the world. But if there's not just a simple thing to lead to last touch, attribution, whatever, the click through the thing on the site, whether it's the banner ad, whatever is leading most to business bottom line. Right. I mean, that's what really at the end of the day is most important. Well, well, not most important, maybe. but maybe yeah, that's <laughs> you, a philosophical question know. here. <laughs> You're never going to know until you can nail that last touch. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, in our example prior is, is that search channel, was that search channel the most important thing to getting you to convert? I would argue no. Right. Because but it most well, facilitated the actual the purchase that was made. It, it most certainly did, but you probably could have gone to Jelly Belly from a number of different ways, true, right? True. Um, would you have been prompted to? I mean, so you're you know you're typing into Google search, right? Jelly Belly or or a search engine, Jelly Belly. Well, there's a great deal of intent there, right? And so, getting to part of the work in attribution is getting to your intent as a user, right? You're coming in on search on a branded term. You, you're, you probably, you know, your motivation is very different than somebody that's coming in through a display ad or from a blog link, right? And so... Because you're searching in a search engine, you probably have already made the decision to buy. You're more or less just saying, hey, I'm going to type it in and buy it right now. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, you know... if you come across a banner or a display. In your particular case, certainly, right? And so, so that's sort of my point is like, you, you really have to, and this is mostly a technical exercise, but you really have to nail that last click before you can even get into um, other types of conversion, right? It, it, or otherwise everything just falls apart. It's a house of cards. So yeah, and I, you know, I could talk about attribution all day. I mean, one thing that is sort of a thing that makes me a little crazy is the word attribution is extremely loaded, right? And there's, there's this causal sense that is loaded with this word and and you know i mean we, i even called it credit before when i was talking about right, it immediately we, in my mind it's a gold star that whoever right. is responsible wears <laughs> right and we use we use these terms we use these terms uh drive right like oh this is driving conversion and this is doing this and and it's not necessarily the most rigorous use of these terms right i mean i you know when, when people start to say what well, x causes y i'm like oh but how do we know why it didn't cause X, right? And and that sort of, it, you know, it's one of those things that I try to be very careful about. But in in marketing speak, it's you know, misguided causality is like a very very common thing. I see it every single day, right? And so you know, attribution, you know, obviously, we're trying to get to causation, but. You know, in a lot of cases, we should be really satisfied with high correlation. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, I, you know, that's all I got for this question. It was a great question. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, thanks, Pete. So I guess we'll move on to the final question. This comes from Tim Wilson at Web Analytics Demystified, at TG Wilson on Twitter. He's actually part of the dynamic trio on the Digital Analytics Power Hour. So I know <laughs> we're big fans of that. So thank you, Tim, for uh, submitting this question. Yeah, thank you, Tim. And... Um, 
I'm going to be a guest on the Digital Analytics Power Hour in the future, bringing this format to them. So if you catch this episode in the next week or so, uh, fire me some questions, and uh, you know we might get them on DAPH, which would be great. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to hearing you on there. Okay. So question from Tim is, in your first episode, you alluded to interpersonal skills as being important for analytics. Oh boy. What advice do you have for analysts dealing with either of the following? One, the business stakeholder who is all about the data, but who seems pretty misguided. So, for example, they're telling the analyst ex exactly what to do with the data rather than laying out the business question or problem. So do you want to do them one at a time, or should I give you... Oh, read me the second one. The second one? <laughs> right. So the other, <laughs> do you have advice for dealing with someone who's dealing with the business stakeholder who does not want to engage in a process, who just kind of expects insights and recommendations? Oh, okay, interesting. And uh, thanks again, Tim. Um, yeah, this is this is not the easiest question. And, and did I allude to interpersonal skills in episode one? You did. Um, you said it was pretty important for an up-and-coming analytics. So. <laughs> awesome. So we have a core value here at Digital Surgeons, which is lead with empathy. And I think anytime you're dealing with anybody within a large or small organization, it's very important to have that empathy. And what, you know, how do you define empathy? How would you define it? I think empathy is just about being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and really yeah. understand it instead of just feeling bad. Sympathy is like, I feel bad for what you're in, but I don't really care because I'm still going to do what I need to do. Well, empathy is taking it a step farther and really understanding what someone's going through. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of how I feel as well. I mean, I, I think that that's a really important point. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there is sort of within the field of digital analytics, there's this uh, demonization of executives and demonization of what are called hippos, the highest paid person's opinion. And, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges related to people process culture, right, within uh, digital analytics. So, you know, the lead with empathy goes to a lot of different aspects of your relationship with a business stakeholder. At your core, you need to be focused on driving business value, right? And, and I think when it comes to people that are in positions where they're doing analytics, I think that you have you have a lot more opportunity to be a multiplier of business value, um, a lot more than a lot of other positions within modern organization, uh, particularly if you're doing marketing analytics, right? Your stakeholders should all be focused on the same thing at the end of the day. And that same thing is, again, driving business value, driving shareholder value. Um, in a lot of cases, that's driving revenue, right? Where the disconnect happens is when there's miscommunication around what your intent is and what their intent is, right? And I think that when you have these m massive divergences in sort of alignment, right, you as an analyst need to take it upon yourself to learn the business, learn the business better. And when I mean learn the business, not just, you know, the dynamics of what your marketing is doing, but you need to read your analyst reports and your, you know, your SEC filings and your earnings reports, you need to understand your sales process. I cannot emphasize that one more or enough. You know, understanding the dynamics of how your salespeople close deals or sell your product or work with your wholesalers or however, however your business is structured is a hugely, hugely insightful thing 
to understand when it comes to how you're looking at your marketing, how you're looking at your operations, and should really focus how you're doing your analytics. And I say that because when it comes to most companies, most senior executives are extremely sales driven, right? And without having that perspective, you're just going to be, you know, a child in the woods, right? Um, Does it almost ever come down to like a separation of church and state type problem? Like I know coming from a journalism world, you automatically, the first place my mind goes to is separating, you know, the business from the editorial team and how they have to operate yeah. independently. Does that ever happen with analytics and business stakeholders where it's like the business stakeholders want the data to show a certain outcome and they really kind of push that? I mean, oh, constantly. Yeah, so it's absolutely constantly. And, and, you know, so, I mean, this sort of goes to question two, right? The second part of this, which is, you know, I've got this business stakeholder that does not want to engage in a process, right? And you say, you see that. And, you know, in, in most cases, I think you could see that as a negative. But in some cases, you could actually see that as a positive because, uh, you know, are you necessarily, is your process as an analyst or as an analytics team, is your process their business, right? Yeah. And, you know, again, in most cases, it is, right? In most cases, you're actually working with a team and you've, you've common objectives. But, you know, I've also, I've worked in organizations where analytics was like IT, Right. And so we're a shared services organization. You know, I had, you know, I ran an analytics team where I reported up to the C-suite. Right. And then I had analytics teams basically in various lines of business. But we were not we, you know, we had dashed lines to other other uh, other groups within the company. But we had a really solid org chart which was independent of the rest of the company, right? Uh, interdependent, but independently managed. Yep. And we were hugely successful because of that, right? Because we were, you know, in some cases, sort of neutral arbiters. You know, we had a seat at the strategic table, at the product development table, at the marketing table, et cetera, operations table. But, you know, we weren't necessarily, we weren't necessarily, within the same org structure as all these various groups. And so, you know, the business stakeholders that don't want to engage in a process and who just expect insight and recommendation, well, they worked, someone like that worked great with the structure okay. because, you know, we we had a very clear mandate to drive business value in, in ways that we could, in ways that we were integrated with these teams. But, you know, when it came to the actual tactics of doing that we were able to develop our own our own systems right and it worked out fantastic i mean we were extremely successful across the board because we didn't have organizational baggage that we brought along to the process does that make sense oh it makes complete sense it speaks exactly to kind of how i started my question that question i mean the second stakeholder you just described is very siloed off. So what about when it's the flip side of the coin when you're really, really directly tied to sure. business stakeholders like that? How do you recommend handling that? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the disconnects, and it, again, this is a super common thing. And, you know, what you really need to do is develop an empathy for, empathy for what they're going through, for their perspective. And 
you know, it gets interesting because as you sort of move up in organizations, and I'm going to give Kevin Hellstrom props for this because he talks about this on his podcast a lot. That's uh, Kevin Hellstrom at Mind That Data on Twitter. He runs the Mind That Data podcast. But he talks about organizational dynamics, and, you know, that's sort of one of his key pillars of success um, for an analytics team. And what you have to realize is that when people sort of become – move up in organizations, they become more risk averse, right? Because they have more of their personal achievement, more of their personal wealth, more of their position. Everything is tied to the more performance of other people and, and what they're responsible for. And so they're not going to take big risks with their career. You know, if you get to be an executive in a large company, you know, you're presumably, um, it's doing taking, pretty well. Yeah, it's taking also a 20-year career of hard work right. to get there, and, got, and now you're, you're sticking your neck out right. a little bit. Right, you got kids going into college or kids going into private school or whatever, and, and you don't want to stick your neck out, right? Yeah. And and that that is the creation, that dynamic creates crazy negative dynamics for you know a typical digital analyst, right? Because you're a digital analyst, you know, it, right now with the way that digital analytics is with the way that the, the market is, you know, you're a super high demand employee. You, if you're smart, you take a free agent approach. I know this might be controversial, but you might, you, if you're smart, you take a free agent approach to how you are working, how you're doing work, how you're working for companies. Right. And, you know, you're fairly well compensated and you've grown up with digital. You might consider yourself like a, a you know, someone that's doing business yet startup y, you know, you're really into into tech and dy- dynamic organizations yeah. and matrixed organizations. Right, yeah. right. And that is not the culture of, you know, a lot of large companies, right? And so you have you have this cultural disconnect, but then you also have this personal disconnect on the motivations of your senior stakeholders and what you think is going to drive the business forward. And you might be right, but it might represent too much risk for your senior stakeholders to stomach, right? So you can say the metrics show me X, Y, and Z, we should be doing this. And they say, absolutely no way. We are not going to, you know, we're not going to kill the goose that's laying the golden egg, right? And so I I think that that's very important. I mean, again, it goes back to empathy. I think that you need to develop those relationships as professional relationships with your stakeholders and you need there needs to be cross training of what's important and what's motivating you right and you know it's it's a force for for conflict but it's also a force for great motivation understanding those differences and exposing them can actually be hugely motivating because you know you you're all trying to sail sail the ship to the same place right and it's it's value you're trying to generate value for the business and yeah, so, you just have to get used to the ship turning like as slow as the titanic does when you first get there and you're not a little dingy and lean startup that you can instantly pivot and yeah i mean so is it really just come down to really just like you said leading with empathy and being patient and kind of understanding that yeah i mean have a lot on the line and you just have to get we'll, your insights there and we'll talk more about this yeah. in future episodes um you know being patient um is important (laughs) but 
Um, you know, I, I also have some, and I, you know, I, I just alluded to it a little bit, but I also have some pretty potent career advice for digital analysts that feel like they're in a bad situation. And, you know, hopefully we'll get some more questions to the form at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash measured direction related to, you know, some of your, you the listener issues with your current jobs. And, you know, I'm going to say it here, and I'm probably going to repeat myself a lot, is that, you know, if you feel like you're in a non-winning situation as a digital analyst, pull the cord, man. you got all the power right now in this market. All the power in the market. (laughs) So, and again, you know, hopefully this is a little controversial. I know uh, uh, Jim Kane and Michael Helbling, or if they're listening to this, are screaming at their <laughs> at their uh radios in their car which is good but um you know i'm of the opinion that um you know that the talent supply is so tight and if you're a halfway decent analyst you should be working for you should be working in a group that is allowing you to flourish as an analyst and you should be working for a company that is going to drive a lot of value out of analytics and drive a lot of value out of you. So it's my opinion on that. All right. Well, everyone who um, <laughs> is going to call in and complain, that's bit.ly slash measure direction for all your questions Drop about what to do mic. now that you're leaving your job. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that wraps up for the questions that we have for today. Um, thanks again, everyone that submitted them. We're really looking forward to getting more of the response to yes, this. really has so been much. super flattering. We're so glad to, you know, get started off on the right foot here. Um, once again, just repeat it for a final time. It's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash measure direction. You can find me on Twitter at J-T Rose. Once again, I'm Jason Rose, a content strategist at Digital Surgeons. And you can find Tom at? Uh, T Miller. That's T-M-L-L-R on Twitter. Great. Well, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, thank you so much. We'll catch you in a couple weeks. All right. Sounds good. Bye. <laughs>